On 2NURFM, it's 14 past 12. This is Thursday Finance with Stephen Pritchard joining me, Jane Klein. And Stephen, there's a lot of talk at the moment about a wild ride on the stock market over well, the last I, few I days. I don't think it's just the stock market. It's um, commodities and um, interest markets as well. I mean, basically, there's a lot of, lot of things going on in the world that affects investment markets. You've got the you know, the terrorism issues in the Middle East. You've got the Ebola virus in Africa. You've got the possibility that the US government will, will in due course, the US will raise interest rates um, as a result of the recovery in the US economy. And, and all these things have a, you know, and of course a downturn in China. Um, all these things are affecting the global uh, investment markets and uh, result in variations in commodities and particularly here in Australia where you know, we're really only a small market in the scheme of things around the world. We just get pushed around. We've got products, of course, haven't we, in the commodities field? Oh, Australia's a big commodities exporter, and um, you know, unfortunately, a price of a lot of those has fallen. Such as you know, iron ore is our biggest export. That's fallen, and coal's fallen. Mm. So you know, consequently, the A dollar's fallen. Um, although it's up, it's up marginally in the last, uh, last since last week, but it's still hovering around eighty-eight cents, and you know wasn't so long ago it was a dollar ten and I reserve banks expecting it to go further. Further south. 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 Mm. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see it around the seventy cent mark again really? before the end of the year. Mm. Okay. What about commodities? How are they faring this um, week? commodities are gold gold in Australian dollar terms was up um, was up two percent over the last week. Um, silver was up just under one percent. So so that's um, anyone who held those precious metals has, has done quite well over the last week. Um, the currency, as I said, is up mar- very marginally against the US dollar over the last week. So you could say it's steady. Um, we're up 1% against the British pound, um, against the uh, Chinese currency, the yuan, um, which I think I've got the pronunciation right. We're, we're basically steady. Um, down 1% against the US dollar. Uh, uh, sorry, the New Zealand dollar down 1% against the New Zealand dollar. And the euro um, basically steady and the Canadian dollar um, were up about 1% against the Canadian dollar. Mm. So, um, you know, the All Ordinaries Index, you know, is basically steady from last week. Um, the US Dow is down 5% from last week, um, which, you know, and the NASDAQ index, which is the other big US index, is also down 5%, and the UK market was down 4%. So, so the European market's been a little bit wobbly mm, too, hasn't it? Yeah. Mm. Um, we don't have the... The figures, Europe, yeah. Yeah, we've just got the UK. But, you know, if you look at this overall, it seems to go back to the old adage that in times of uncertainty, people go to... Uh, hard commodities, i.e., gold and silver. The, the the financial markets are down four and five percent, and gold's up two percent. Okay. So that's interesting. Um, the oil the oil prices uh, have continued to fall. Um, that's a combination of increased production. Um, the U.S. is rapidly moving to a position where it can export oil from its shale oil discoveries, and that OPEC hasn't cut production. So there's more and more oil becoming available in the world markets. And as a consequence, the price continues to fall. So for us, that should be good because we're largely buyers, aren't we, rather than sellers of oil? Uh, yes, we're largely buyers, except the A dollar's falling as well. <laughs> so we've, you know, the commodity's falling, but we, our currency that, that, that we're using to buy it is becoming less valuable. So, so Why am I not surprised? No, so it's mm. just the way it is.
So we covered gold and silver and other commodities. Um, Petrol was going. We've covered oil, and we haven't got the right. Okay, so but uh, I think I don't know. I was in Sydney last night, and uh, some Sydney garages had really high, like about for unleaded. A dollar fifty-seven, and there were others that had a dollar thirty-five, and it's strange that there should be that range within a a reasonably small area. Well, you know, each proprietor of the garages can can charge whatever they like, and if they're getting customers that in they're willing to pay a dollar fifty, good luck to them. Mm. I mean, and more astute customers such as yourself spot the next one along the road that's a dollar thirty. I mean, yeah, sometimes it's worth to drive a little bit, isn't it? Yeah, (laughs) particularly, particularly if you keep. Um, you don't wait till you're on the empty light to fill up <laughs> when you've got no choice. That's very important. Um, that's right. <laughs> I mean, it, particularly you know when when you're in an urban built-up area where you know there's you know a kilometre down the road there's going to be another garage. So you, you know it's probably best to have a look at what's happening. True. But sometimes you know when the empty light's on, you've got to go and pay the dollar fifty. To a new RFM Thursday finance and. Stephen Pritchard with us today. We do this for our sponsor, Pritchard and Partners. And uh, Stephen, it's time for our market snapshot. Henry Jennings joining us. Hi, Henry. Hi, Stephen. How are you? Good. Good. That's, that's good. And I've just got to give this uh, disclaimer here about uh, any advice that we discuss is general advice and you shouldn't act on it without seeking um, personal advice from your professional advisor. That's exactly right. That's right. So yeah. how have things been, Henry? Oh, things have been quite torrid, I guess, in uh, in our equity market at the moment. We're seeing some uh, some big sell-offs. Um, it wasn't long ago, about a month ago, we were around 5,600, and here we are below 5,200. So it's uh, the volatility has picked up. We're seeing some very big swings on the Dow at the moment, um, and we're seeing some uh, some pretty poor economic figures coming out of uh, the European zone, and also um, some some patchy numbers coming out of America. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't. Things don't actually seem to be getting better, and 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 the same thing appears to be happening in Australia as well. Well, it's you know we're certainly seeing uh, you know some some speed bumps, I guess, as we transition from a from a mining economy into um, into some other sort of economy. I'm not really sure which. I was uh, just about are, to ask you what sort of economy because I can't well, work it out. Well, one not too good at the moment. With, with, you know, we are slowing down. Unemployment is rising, despite the fact the ABS numbers seem to be a little bit all over the place. Um, and we're seeing some question marks being uh, applied to uh, some of our high-yielding bank shares, which have been the major driver of our market in terms of um, the, this Murray inquiry into how much capital the banks should be holding on their balance sheets um, and their ability to, uh, therefore, keep the dividends flowing to those happy shareholders. So uh, the banks have been a big big driver in the pools, as has, of course, the iron ore price with, uh, with BHP, Rio's and the Fortescue's of this world. Yeah, I mean, one of the analysis about the Murray Inquiry said the banks are going to have to raise an additional $24 billion of capital. So, you know, to get yeah. the returns on that, the, the dividends are going to have to fall. Yeah, I mean, that that's, um, you know, it's yet to be seen. I mean, oh, we've, yeah, had, so seen. We've, we've seen uh, millions and millions of inquiries by uh, successive governments, and most of them are just that, they're inquiries, and most of the governments tend to ignore them anyway, and it just feeds a few uh, bureaucrats and a few ex-bankers uh, um, to keep Lots them in, of the, in the beach houses they, uh, they're come accustomed to. Yeah, that's right, that's right. So we 
and see the, uh, if there's any going to be any any meat on the bones. But uh, I suspect uh, you know the, the banks will be lobbying pretty hard behind the scenes. Um, and also, don't forget, I mean, the, these banks have been raising a lot of money through the hybrids market. We're also seeing NAB selling off uh, one of their American businesses. So that there's other ways to uh, to raise money rather than pure equity. Yeah, that's right. And NAB's talking about selling their life insurance business as well, yeah. which, will, yeah. which will free up considerable capital. So yeah. what sector of your market do you think we should actually be looking at? Um, puts, mainly. <laughs> <laughs> at the moment, it, I, mean, I have to say, it, it's hard to find. Hard. Um, value is appearing, let's, let's put it that way. Um, I think we're still in for some more volatility to come. Um, we still seem to be... Um, not only jumping at shadows, but there are a number of sort of risks appearing around the globe. Um, and as a result, we tend to be caught in that crosswind. So at the moment, I'm, I'm tending to stay out of it, but I am looking at things like Telstra. Um, some of the uh, the other stocks I, I kind of like are things like Mortgage Choice, which um, yesterday announced some very good um, sort of first uh, first part of the year results, which, you know, is, uh, is, is a mortgage broker, and they're doing very well in this kind of housing uh, frenzy that we've got at the moment. Yeah. So, so they're pretty good, and they're yielding, you know, 6.5% fully franked at the moment because if, uh, if dividends continue flowing their way, which I, I don't see any reason why not. So, And also I think, you know, the, these banks are starting to look certainly a lot more attractive than they were uh, 10% ago. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Thursday Finance and Stephen Pritchard. We are in the middle of our market snapshot with Henry Jennings. Hi, Henry. Hi, Stephen. So what's happening in the US at the moment? I mean, the housing market appears to be recovering over there slightly. Um, But, you know... Well, it's... Uh, the housing market over there has, has recovered slightly, and what, what's happened is a lot of institutional money has gone into uh, to U.S. housing. Uh, big fund managers like BlackRock have become big landlords in the U.S., um, and it's still quite hard to uh, to get loans. I hear anecdotally, um, you know, a lot of hoops you've got to jump through. So people are, are renting, but but the, the the big question, I guess, from from the U.S. apart from uh, from the Ebola scare that uh, is currently uh, hitting uh, Dallas, and I just see that on the news wires that maybe they're declaring a state of emergency uh, in Dallas due to that. But the big question, I guess, is how much of the, uh, the slowdown in Europe and uh, in China as well is going to affect the U.S. economy. We did see some consumer spending figures down uh, yesterday, which was somewhat worrying because 70% of the U.S. economy is based on consumerism and, and spending. So, um, And we are seeing, of course, uh, the other big thing that's happening is October is the last month that the Federal Reserve is pumping money into their bond buying program or QE3. So it does seem to be no coincidence that as the, the Fed leave the market quietly, um, the market is certainly not taking it lying down quietly and is, uh, and is, is quite frantic at the moment with, with fear uh, and greed at various different times. Do you think you're going to see US interest rates rise? Is, is some talk that that's going to occur? Well, uh, I mean, that, that's, that's the inevitable thing. I mean, Janet Yellen has uh, said that they won't rise for some considerable time. And looking at where the money's going at the moment, there, there certainly seems to be a flight of, of, of money to the safety of U.S. Treasuries, which is actually pushing um, interest rates down yeah. perversely, um, which is somewhat scary. But there has been you know, huge amounts of money printed around the globe, uh, not just by the Federal Reserve, but also by the U.K. Bank of England and the Bank of Japan. And that money has to go somewhere when things get a bit scary. 
scary, and at the moment is flowing into U.S. Treasuries, so it's actually keeping U.S. interest rates down. Um, but inevitably, U.S. rates will have to go up, um, whether that's in uh, the first half of 2015 or the second half remains to be seen. But I suspect when they do start to go up, it will be by very, very, very small amounts, and it will be more a token gesture to say, look, you know, the, the, the free money ride, our support has been uh, terminated or is coming to an end, and you need to stand on your own two feet, guys. Yes, well, that'll be interesting, won't it? Yes, it will be interesting. So there, there might be a flight from Australian government bonds as well to, to higher-yielding U.S. securities at that stage. Yeah, I mean, the U.S. securities have got a long way to go. Yeah. And, you know, you look at our, our banks, which are yielding sort of 6% fully frank now, um, and if you're buying banks in this kind of environment at the moment, you're going to get three dividends in 13 months, which you know, is around 9.5% fully franked for 13 months of holding uh, bank shares. So, you know, if U.S. interest rates go up to, you know, 2% or something, it's, it's still, uh, which is a, it's a long way for them to go up. Um, it's still a long way away from uh, from our kind of AAA-rated banks, which the U.S., don't forget, isn't AAA-rated. No, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Perversely. Yes, which is interesting. But, you know, mm. yeah. it's interesting about the ratings. Yes, I mean, it's, it's all a bit subjective, I guess, but uh, certainly, you know, we, we, as the Chinese would say, we live in interesting times. That's a we're seeing a slowdown in, in Europe. We're seeing some, some pretty weak numbers coming out of Germany, which has been the, uh, the powerhouse and uh, helping Europe out of its malaise. Um, we're seeing Mario Draghi, the, uh, the central bank uh, chief in Europe, uh, trying his best to, uh, to rescue the European economy, but I think at the, the, the heart of the problem is that the, the governments there have been very slow to embrace reforms. Reforms are hard because voters get a bit upset, um, and the voters are the ones that put them in power, um, and they've relied very much on the central bank to, uh, to do all the heavy lifting, and as a result, um, it, we've still got very, very tepid growth in Europe. In fact, that people are now talking about triple-dip recessions, well, that's which not wouldn't good. be good. That's not good. No. Well, I saw the other day that BMW now sells 450,000 cars a year to China compared to 10,000 not so long ago. Mm. So they might be able to uh, use BMW to keep Germany afloat for a while. Well, it wouldn't be the first time. No, that's right. <laughs> okay, thanks for that, Henry. To NURFM, it is Thursday Finance. Thanks to our sponsor, Pritchard & Partners. And Stephen Pritchard with us today. Stephen, negative gearing, it's been in the news just a little bit lately. And uh, what's it all about, actually? Oh, negative gearing always becomes popular in periods of rising property prices. Um, basically, what you do or how it works is you go and buy an investment property and um, borrow most of the money. I mean, it's relatively easy if you're, if you're on a reasonable income to, to borrow 80% of the purchase price of the investment property. Or if you, if you own your own home I mean, you know, and you've got sufficient equity in there, you can actually go and buy an investment property with basically no money down because the bank will look at the combined equity of both properties. And then what you do is you collect the rent, pay the expenses out. And so that, because of the amount of interest on the early stages of the loan, um, you usually make a loss. So, for example, if if your you know your rents come in at ten thousand a year, and your expenses, including the interest, is um, fifteen thousand a year, you make a loss of five thousand dollars. Now, that five thousand dollars, you get to deduct off any other income you may have that's on your personal tax return. So, if you've got um, salary and wages um, of say you know. 
$200,000, which is a very wealthy person such as Jane here oh, would yeah, have that. <laughs> but if, for example, you know, a reasonable person, so, so you know, like you. No, not like me. <laughs> um, so if you've got salary and wages income of $200,000 because the maths are easier um, and then you've made a loss on your, your rental property of $5,000, you actually have to pay tax on $195,000 and not the $200,000. And because of the maths is easier on $200,000, the marginal tax rate, including Medicare, is about 47000 So you'd get a, a refund from the government of $2,500. So it works for people who are earning an income? It works for people who are earning – well, it doesn't work at all if you've got no income and it doesn't usually work that okay. well. We're talking oh. about taxable income yes, here, taxable. Yes, taxable yes. income. Yeah. It, it, rephrase that. You need a taxable income for negative gearing to work. Um, and then what you hope is that the losses that you make um, on the way through are made up by the capital gain when you sell the property. Now – if the property doesn't go up in value, you'll actually make a loss because you've lost all this money on the way through and if you don't make a gain at the end, you, you would have been better off paying um, the tax and still having the $2,500 in your pocket. So things can go wrong if... Oh, things can go wrong. I okay. mean, lots, lots of things can go wrong. One of um, them is that, that uh, if the One of them falls. is um, that you lose your job, you can't afford to keep up the... Um, payments on the the property and you're forced to sell the property when you don't want to sell it and you 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 know you may make a loss on that um you um may not be able to get a tenant and you may not then for not have enough income to service the land and you you know you that could put you into financial difficulty i mean one way one way to solve that problem is to ensure that you've got a bit of a buffer of cash to make a few months you know, three or six months loan repayments, um, and keep uh, that aside. Keep that aside. Um, you know, tenants are, I understand, are becoming increasingly difficult to find in Newcastle at the moment. Mm. Um, I've had a couple of clients who've had properties vacant for uh, you know a couple of months before they found a tenant. Um, so that's one. You know, it's not always easy to get a, get a tenant, and. You know, of course, the other thing that may go wrong is when you come to sell the property for whatever reason, the values may not have may not have gone up, and you may need to sell it at a loss. So basically, you have to keep those payments up, or you have yeah. to sell. I mean, negative gearings, like any other investment decision, um, it's not without risk. It's not a risk-free way of making money, and it's not only it's not only. I mean, it's generally applied to real estate, but you can also apply um, a negative giving. The same principle applies to um, listed securities that uh, listed securities or managed investment schemes that pay a dividend. They, in a way, can be less risky because you don't need to borrow as much money. Mm. Um, so you don't need to go out and borrow three hundred thousand. You can borrow twenty thousand, get comfortable with it, and see how it works. Mm. But the same, the same risks apply. I mean, it may come that when you want to sell, um, you know, the, the value of the underlying asset hasn't gone up. Now, there's been talk of changing the provisions um, to do with negative. Uh, yeah, I mean, this 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 arises from time to time, and you know. Paul Keating, when he was in government, actually um, changed the provisions so that the losses on the rental property, in particular rental properties, wasn't offset against other income. The effect of that at that stage had that the the, the rents 
um, increased because people were no longer getting this um, refund from the tax office and they needed additional money to make the land repayments. So the rents were put up and with a very short space of time, the decision was actually reversed. Um, the general economic view is that the, the, the subsidy from the tax refund isn't actually to the rental owner, it's, it's actually to the person renting the property because they're receiving rents at a lower rate than they would otherwise received. Okay. So it's not a straightforward, clear-cut argument. <laughs> Is anything. Is anything, <laughs> no. But, uh, particularly when you start factoring in human behaviour. This is Thursday Finance on 2NURFM for our sponsor, Pritchard & Partners. It's 11 to 1. And franking credits. I think we need a little bit of an explanation, Stephen Pritchard. Well, franking, to... franking credits are back in the news again. Basically, the franking credit system means that company profits are only taxed once. So basically... Sounds like a good idea for the rest of us who that's... might have a finger in the pie. That's right. That, that's right. So very big shareholders such as Jane here <laughs> only has to pay tax on the company profits once. So what that means is that the company pays um, tax on its profits and when it pays those out to shareholders as a dividend, the shareholder gets a credit for the proportion of tax that's, that's paid by the company that they receive. So, so in effect, it's a fair system that, that the same income is either taxed in the hands of the company or is taxed in the hands of the shareholder and that it's only taxed uh, on once. The, tradition, the, the classical view had the company's um, income taxed twice. It was taxed in the hands of the company and when it was received by the shareholders, it was taxed again. As that, extra income. That mm-hmm. was all, yeah, that's right. That was all reformed in the 1980s. So it's only, in Australia, it's only um, taxed once. Now, if you're, if you're in a lower tax bracket um, and you're below um, 30% of uh, marginal tax rate, you actually get a, a refund of the excess tax that the company's paid if you lodge a tax return or if you lodge one of those um, forms with the tax office requesting repayment of the um, tax. So if, if, you, if you've got some franking credits or if you've got some shares and you're in a lower tax bracket, it's probably worthwhile um, obtaining one of those franking um, refund request forms from the tax office and lodging that. So you'll actually get um, your proportion of the tax paid, uh, your proportion of the tax that the company's paid back. Now, there is a proposal that's come out of the Murray inquiry that this system should be reformed. Um, it's not quite clear what that would mean, but um, I don't see how you can actually reform a system that, that is quite fair and equitable as it is. Um, one can only suggest that reform means that the shareholders will be worse off somehow, whether the amount of tax credit is reduced, and so we go back to the bad old days of, of um, shareholders having to pay twice on their dividends or the dividends being taxed twice. So there is that proposal, and I'd suggest if it becomes more serious, um, shareholders might consider lobbying their local members of parliament to make sure that it doesn't get up, because it's not fair that the same income be packed twice. So, Stephen, as a believer in people power... A believer in people power. You you just told me that phrase. (laughs) I like that phrase. And, so, and there's been all sorts of interesting things. I mean, there's there, there's lots of reports around at the moment. Um, there's another one from Boston Consulting Group that says that um, that companies in Australia are paying out a higher proportion of dividends than other countries in the world, and this this may in the future restrict um, uh, the growth of those companies. Um, that seems to forget, of course, 
I mean, it's, a lot of these reports are commissioned by um, institutions that, that, that want various views put out um, for various things. And, you know, the report seems to get, and there's been other reports along this line, the report seems to forget that the, really it's the shareholders who own the company, and if they want increased dividends, well, it's their right to have increased dividends. Now, the, the company can easily solve this issue of having to pay out increased dividends to keep the share, shareholders happy by running a, a, a dividend reinvestment plan, um, and those shareholders who wish to um, keep their, their, their dividends reinvested in the company to fund future growth can do that, and those shareholders who wish to obtain a cash dividend to, to live on can do that as well. So I don't think the issue's um, so insurmountable, and I think it's very easy to fix. So that would mean that the company doesn't pay out as much cash, keeps the cash itself. Yeah, but ba yeah basically those shareholders who wanted the dividends would get the cash, and those shareholders would, who, who didn't want dividends could reinvest the um, the, um, the dividends in additional prices. shares. Mm -hmm. Now, dividend reinvestment plans used to be very popular, but they seem to have decreased over the past years because companies have finally got surplus cash and is paying it out anyhow. So, you know, I, I don't think it's a big issue that the level of dividends being paid out at the moment, and, and it's easy to fix. So is that also the case with uh, the, the recent Telstra uh, share buyback offer? Yes, well, that, that the board's come into a lot of criticism on the, the Telstra, and there's a groundswell in shares in small shareholder land that these share buybacks um, don't really benefit shareholders. Now, the theory is that by doing a share buyback, you decrease the number of um, shares on issue, and therefore the existing share price should go up. Um, small shareholders um, are coming to the view that that's not right and that everyone would be better off if the company paid out a special dividend. Now, the board of Telstra came in for a lot of criticism at the AGM um, from small shareholders, and to be honest, the, the justification they gave for the share buyback wasn't particularly convincing. And, and the other thing is, you know, with these tendered share buybacks, as you rightly said, you don't actually know what you're getting. Mm. So, so you're putting in, you're selling your shares, and you don't actually know what price you're getting. Yes, there were offers of various percentages off the uh, off the share price that you could tender yeah. shares yeah. for. So basically, you you um, get to tender what price you're prepared to sell the shares back. The company applies some formula and buys them back at the lowest price that mm. the people are prepared to sell for. Mm. That doesn't sound like a fair deal, does it? But I suppose it works. It, it works. I mean, and if you're if you're a um, super fund, a large proportion of that's a franking credit, so so it it, it does work. But uh, I, mean, I, I think the issue is, does it benefit all the shareholders? And I think it's probably that um, once again, if they're going to do something like that, there should be an option, I think, to pay a special dividend to those who want, and the ones who don't can receive some of their shares bought back in that that to try and keep everyone happy. Would that actually be less complicated to understand? Oh, probably not. It's probably more complicated, <laughs> but, but complication doesn't <laughs> seem to be a reason to stop anything. But I think it is. I think it's right. I mean, BHP a few years ago bought back a large number of shares and the share price hasn't done anything. Shareholders as a whole would have been far better off to receive a special dividend of a couple of dollars a share. Thank you, Stephen Pritchard. That's Thursday Finance for today and we'll be back next Thursday after the midday news on 2NURFM.